High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, rich girls, football stars, roughnecks, and waitresses. Oh, and an extra special shout-out to you movie theater attendants out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my house this evening. But first, school is still in session. And boy, do we have an iconic movie we're talking about today. Hope you did your homework, because the film we're discussing is a big one. It's a very important one. It's a very, very good one. The Last Picture Show. But before we get into The Last Picture Show, did you guys enjoy the uh, Halloween special? Pretty spooky, right? Okay, maybe not that spooky. I don't know. I had fun. I think the ghost has finally rid itself from the high school slumber party classroom and my apartment, but who knows? Let's just, you know, hope he doesn't reappear and nobody bring any Ouija boards to the slumber party. We'll leave it at that. Um, Have you guys been up to anything cool? Have you got John Cusack to unblock me? No? I figured. (laughs) Oh, man. So, as I mentioned, today's film, very different than last week. It's not a Teen Witch. Thank you, Shawnee, again. It's not a Teen Witch. This film it's a serious one, an Oscar-winning one, and I hadn't seen it before, so I was super stoked to bring on the godfather Joey Lewandowski, and he suggested, I mean, he was really excited to do this film, he suggested bringing on another host from the Cage Club Podcast Network, the host of the Contenders, well, the co-host of the Contenders, Tobin Addington, because I guess Tobin was the guy who really shined light on this film for Joey, and we have an awesome conversation. I'm so excited to dive into that. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Did you forget the classroom setup here? The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. I wanted to tell you about my trip to Texas. So this film takes place in Texas, and ironically, I was just in Texas for a bachelor party. Uh, for my friend Dan. Oh, you know Dan. He was on our Halloween episode. And coincidentally, he's on our episode next week. But we'll tell you about that later. But Dan, uh, Dan's bachelor party and former co-host of P.S. I Love Hoffman with me, Kyle Reinfried. He was the host of it, I suppose. Uh, he was, he's the best man. So we went to Dallas and we went to Austin. And I bring it up not just to brag about my exotic travels, but for a couple reasons. First, um, Texas is awesome, ate good food, drank a good beer, I guess. My guess my biggest regret there is I didn't get to check out any roller derby, like shout out to Queen Elizabeth II suggested, because I know Austin has the best roller derby, but that's because it was out of season. 
Still, I want to shout out the Texas Roller Derby, TXRD, or the TXRD Holy Rollers, as I follow on my Instagram now. I saw a poster for them in a bar. I'm like, damn it, next time I'm in Austin, I gotta do some roller derby. And you guys know that I'm a big fan of roller derby now from our episode on Whippet, so you definitely want to check that out. The other reason I mentioned Texas, as I said, this movie takes place in Texas, The Last Picture Show. And it was so weird because... Well, you know, we know Texas and football, they go hand in hand, especially high school football. And as we were driving from Dallas to Austin, we had to stop to switch drivers, so we stopped in this little town. I don't know, you know, there's an awesome donut shop there, I wish I could remember the name because I would shout it out. But I was looking um, a little down the road and I saw this huge stadium, and I was wondering to myself, what college is in this little town? Because the stadium is huge. Then I realized, oh my god, this is a high school football stadium. Bigger than any high school football stadium I'd ever seen. But I guess that's Texas, right? God country football or something like that. God bless Texas. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into this movie. Because really, this is going to be one of the best films we talk about on this podcast. I guarantee that. If you haven't seen it, definitely pause this podcast and see it. Or watch it after. Whatever. But trust me. But let's get into it. I leave you with Hank Williams, Why Don't You Love Me Like You Used To. Class dismissed. My hair's still curly and my eyes are still blue. Why don't you love me like you used to do? Ain't had no loving like a hugging and a kissing in a long, long while. We don't get nearer, further, closer than a country Spark me like you used to do And say sweet nothings like you used to coo I'm the same old trouble that you've always been through So why don't you love me like you used to do taken me so long to see this film well so the reason that i want to do this this movie for this podcast and the reason that i was like hey 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 tobin's gonna want to talk about this movie too is because in college before i graduated tobin the other guest who i am spoiling by not letting you introduce him gave me a list of the 25 (laughs) movies he thought people should see like how many people did you give this out to would you say tobin oh man not many i would only give it to people who at who asked for it? I, I don't. I didn't want to like thrust it upon people, you know. Wow. So I have this list of twenty-five movies, and this was on there. And I remember I went through. I still haven't seen all of them. I, like I feel like I'm at where I was at five years ago. I've seen like sure. almost twenty of them, but this was on the list. Another one, at least one other one that you're going to be doing for this podcast at some point, Brian. Election is also on the list. Yes. Awesome. Yes. But there's a Toby. Do you remember? I mean, I don't know if this is fun for anybody but me. But do you remember other movies on that list of twenty five? Man, I'm gonna guess that Seven Samurai was on there. Yes, ding, ding, ding. Oh, if we had a contender's ding, I would ding it right here. Ding. <laughs> yes. Oh, do you have the list there? Are you? I do. I'm looking at it. Oh yeah. I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to. Is the general on there? 
No. The Buster Keaton movie? No. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. What else is on there? Atonement, oh, which yeah. you just did. Yeah. Laggies for your podcast, so Atonement, yep. you know, yep. another Kieran Knightley. Badlands, Bob Roberts, Bottle Rocket, Brick, another high school movie, Brick, Bring Up Baby, Casino, Charade, Chinatown, The oh, Conversation, yeah. Election, Grizzly Man, History of Violence, Last Picture Show, Ordinary People, Paths of Glory, A Perfect World, The Searchers, Seven Samurai, Shadow of a Doubt, Spanish Prisoner, Spartan, The Third Man, and Three Days of the Condor, and also the TV series Rome. Mm. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a very American-heavy list. I, I I would make a different list these days. I wow, that's cool. I, I, I feel a podcast coming on, Tobin's 25, with you two. Ooh. Ooh. See them. Ooh. A limited them. run. I like that. See what you'd yeah. add. Yeah, no. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Also well, like because, how the list was advertised. I appreciate it. I mean, that. because we just uh <laughs> Tobin and I were just we did record what did we record? Oh, a terrible Charlize Theron podcast. Uh yeah. Dark well, Places. Good podcast. Good, good <laughs> podcast. Short podcast. Terrible movie. Yeah, but yeah. before that, uh this is a little this is a, a, a exclusive for the high school summer party crowd, but you know, we do Cinemakers and Tobin was on our Soderbergh run. And the goal of Cinemakers for me and Mike was to do Newer directors, I don't know why we put this list on, but why we put this rule in. We we're like, hey, only people who basically started around 1990 and to today. But I was like, you know, I really want to do Kubrick, but I want to do it with Tobin so that Tobin can teach me Kubrick hmm. while we do these movies. So I like this idea of Tobin's 25, so you can teach these, you know, 25 movies that are pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Well, and, Ku- and Ku- well, there's a Kubrick on that list. Pass yeah. of Glory is mm-hmm. a Kubrick movie. Yeah. 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 I'm very excited for this Tobin lesson because everyone else <laughs> has gotten these Tobin lessons on this podcast. And I haven't. I didn't go to film school. I'm the least filmed person, I suppose, on this podcast. So I'm super stoked because, Joey, when, when I released this list to you, one of the first, the list, sorry, my list, Brian's list of high yes. school films. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to get yes. people's lists confused. Brian's 400, Tobin's 25, and Brian's 400. <laughs> essentially, essentially, like I said, I'm going to be doing this till I have my own high schoolers. But this film, I mean, this film was one of those that you right away said that you wanted to do Joey, and you're like, yep. you have to have Tobin on this one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm not going to see this film until we do it. And obviously it's in, like, early part of the history of this show, so I wanted to see it because you said good things. And I'm going to, you know, spoiler alert for the end, guys. I <laughs> really, really thought this film was awesome. So I mean, can't wait to talk about it. I told you before yeah. we started recording that, or, you know, when we were talking this afternoon, that I like my tradition of only being on the best movies that this podcast has to offer. I mean, like, Breakfast Club is pretty good, but I th- still think... Of all the movies you've done, this and Edge of Seventeen are probably the two best ones, so keeping mm. that streak alive. We're going to ruin your streak one day. I should have had you on the kissing booth. No! <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find one that I'm going to beg you to do that's going to be just the worst. But no, so far, you're right. So far, so good. You're, you've been hitting some good ones. And Joey, since you were on Edge of Seventeen and you have been on this episode, why don't you do the honors of introducing yourself so you can show our new guest, Tobin, the ropes. Sure, of course. Joey Lewandowski, Hundred and Central Regional High School, class of two thousand six. Go Red Devils. The Red Devils, yeah. 
And since last time you said you had a, an epically unremarkable high school experience, any any stories to share today, Joey, or are we just keeping it at? Oh, so, oh, I should have. Mm. So my parents are in the process of cleaning up the house so that they can sell the house and move to South Carolina. Now that they're both retired, and they gave me a oh. box of papers of school stuff. And oh, I do remember the name. Okay, I'm 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 proud of myself. I took a <laughs> class, I think my junior year or sophomore year of high school, called the Art and Craft of Film, and that is a particular note tonight, only because in like a 45 day every day for two hours or 90 minute class, we watched probably nine or ten movies, and one of those movies of note tonight, not this movie, but Red River, which they watch in this movie. So ah. that was I, there was a lot of movies that I still. You know, probably should rewatch, but like that and Breaking Away and uh, The Endless Summer and like these like really good movies. Like I don't know if I've seen since that I feel like at 16 years old, I was like, I can't appreciate these. But like there's stuff out there that I should be paying attention to. That's still pretty impressive for high school. I think so. Some of the movies you're mentioning. Yeah. 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 Seriously. Yeah. I'm kind of, yeah. I'm jealous of that class too. Wow. And I, I do to... remember that the the teacher was very he wasn't really bragging about himself but there was a guy who went to our high school I think that he had taught that went on to win an academy award for a short film an animated short film for this movie called More which I don't know if either of you guys seen I think I talked about it with somebody recently but it's like this claymation little short where it is a guy who works at a factory a really dead end factory and then I think he he uses I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's 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 an Academy Award winning film. So I will uh, I'll find it. I'll send it to you guys right now. Awesome, yeah, cool. Yeah. That's very cool. So one day, one day we'll get our Oscar together. But for now, <laughs> this guy, whatever his name, who did more, Mark Osborne. Mark Osborne. Shout and out. And if to you watch the if you watch the video, if you just search Mark Osborne's more on Google or YouTube, the first thing that comes up is Flemington Pictures, which is where my high school was. So you know, of particular note. I'm glad you brought a story this time, because last time you just brushed over the high schoolness. <laughs> We're peeling the onion, Joey. We're peeling the onion. Eventually, by the end of this podcast, four years from now, I'm going to get you to cry about something that happened in high school. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's my goal. Oh, those, kind of, that, those are the kind of stories you're looking for? Jeez. I'm from Joey, maybe. Not from everybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <That'd> be... <laughs> Okay, Tobin, are, are you familiar with how to introduce yourselves, or would you like a tutorial? I think so. I, I'm, I can, I can take a shot, and you can tell me if I, if I go wrong. Go for it. Did you? If, I guess I'm going to ask a question first. We start with a name, yeah. I got name, high school, year, and and mascot. Yes. Is that where we're headed? All right, I can do that. I am Tobin Addington. I went to Hellgate High School, class of 1997. Go Knights. Hellgate. Yeah. Did you say Hellgate? Hellgate. I wow. said Hellgate. Wow. Yes. And then yeah, they, they decided right. to make the team the Knights? Yeah, they did. <laughs> it needs to be like the Demons or something like it, that. I think probably Hellgate Devils felt a little on the nose. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, plus I'm the Red Devil, so I already have that covered on this podcast, so we're, we're yeah, all good. 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 Yes, I was, I was a Knight. Hmm. I don't know. It just doesn't seem... That's not on the nose enough. I mean, <laughs> high school high school mascots are supposed to be on the nose. In my uh, in my high school conference, not my high school, there we we used to play against Fairlawn High School, and they were the Cutters, the cutters. Fairlawn Cutters. Oh, wow. oh, okay. Not like self harm, but like like uh, I assume like, like a, landscaping. Yeah, I assume. I don't know because you don't put <laughs> have lawn in your name and then put 
say the cutters and say that you're named after a, like a ship or something, you know. That's a landlocked <laughs> yeah. town. Seriously. You know, I was flying back. This is a little bit of a humble brag, but I was there for a wedding. I wasn't just there for fun. But I was flying back from Scotland yesterday, and uh, on the plane there were like 100 movies you could pick from. So I was half watching those while I watched stuff that I hadn't seen before on my iPad. So I watched, of course, Fast Five and Furious 7 and Fate of the Furious because too fast, too forever, hashtag family. But then I watched (laughs) uh, most of Happy Death Day, which is a recent horror movie that I love, and that if it wasn't a college movie, it was a high school movie, I would have already forced you into doing it for this podcast, Brian. But what I found out in that movie, talking about mascots, is that their college mascot, I think, is the baby, or a baby, which I I never noticed. I've seen this movie like three or four times times now i never noticed that before and i was like oh this is the coolest weirdest thing <laughs> so it's just like the face wow. is like this baby face and i think it's just like the babies i don't know what they are but greatest mascot in movie history oh, i love it i love it so tobin any high school stories what were you like in high school tell the high school slumber party audience what your high school experience was like i had a great time in high school i i came from a uh, a K through eighth grade school where my graduating class was about 50 students. Wow. And then went went to a high school where there were 2,500 kids in the school. So it was a, it was a, you know, you go from being, you know, labeled whatever you were in like third grade all the way through junior high to then having sort of, to sort of reinvent yourself. So I had a really good time. I was, I was the, um, Drum major by the end of end of school, Ooh. the marching band. Yep, uh, and we were we had a instead of a like a baton, I had a sword because we were the knights. Oh, that's so, really cool. So I would march with this big sword, and I was in drama. And uh, so, so here's one story. So second half of high school, I started making movies, little short movies with like video cameras from the local cable access TV station, and I made one that in, that, that took place at at a school at a high school with these two high school kids who sort of like run into each other at as school is over and it's like seven minutes long and at the end of it they kiss and that's the end of the movie so i got some friends together and i talked this teacher into staying at school on a weekend so i could shoot this thing on a saturday and they and we shot the shot the little movie and they had their little their little scenes together and they had their little kiss and i found out not until later that it was i think it was the boy it was a boy and a girl i can't remember um which one? I think it was the boy. It was his first kiss ever. Whoa. Wow, you created yeah. some magic there. It turns out I did. It turns out I did. So anyway, that was that was me in high school, getting people to kiss on camera for, <laughs> for the first time. Nice. That's awesome. So sounds like, again, fun high school experience. A little different than the high school experience in this film, I assume. <laughs> the last yes. picture show. Not quite, Not quite that kind of town. Uh, although, although, what I will say, and this is what I just messaged you on Facebook, there was some uh, sexual drama in this movie behind the scenes as well, which, again, oh, yeah. IMDb trivia, don't know if this is real or not, but Tobin, did you know, according to the IMDb trivia, that Sybil Shepard had an affair with Jeff Bridges while making this movie, and had an affair with Peter Bogdanovich, well, that was so, to such extent that, like, he got a divorce from his wife with kids, to be with Sybil Shepherd for a while, at least. Oh, yes. And I can add to that that his wife co-wrote his first movie with him and was the production designer on it and was the production designer on this movie. Oh, and no. Stayed on this movie even during the affair and divorce. Like, it wasn't like an affair like, hey, I'm, I'm secretly sleeping with Sybil Shepherd. It's like, I've cast Sybil Shepherd in this movie. I've fallen in love with her. 
I, we can't be together anymore. I'm going to be with Sybil Shepherd. Oh wow! And and, and they keep making they keep making the movies together. And she goes on to production design his next two movies as well. What? Yeah. And then and then the the story goes that she once she stopped working on his movies, his movies because because two of those of the next three are well t- two of his first four movies are are downright classics. And then once she was out of the picture, he he never made a movie like that again. So yeah, this was a this was there was a lot lots of shenanigans going on. This and this movie. was Sybil Shepherd's first movie, so to, like to basically enter with such a literal and metaphorical bang, if you will, uh, <laughs> is uh, impressive? Question mark. Well, she and she was a teenager. I mean, he 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 found her from she was a cover model, a cover girl on yeah. on like magazines, and he thought, saw in this magazine as like and you know it's like you can be JC, and she was, and you know it sort of detonated a marriage. Yeah. Wow, so weird. That's so interesting, though, because I was looking at his career, and I'm like, huh, real drop-off here. Yeah, yeah. Potential potential explanation there. Wow, the good fact. I like these facts. Yeah. And most people know him as the – he's Dr. Melfi's psychiatrist on The Sopranos. Oh, he's the, oh my God, okay. yes. Yep. That's Peter Bogdanovich. Wow. You know, yeah. I, I saw – like, I, I knew he was a director – then I remember, like, I was watching Sopranos maybe, like, six months ago, like, rewatching it. And I remember seeing his name, and I'm like, that can't be the same guy, because why, yeah. why the hell would it be? Like, I didn't know what he looked like and everything. Wow, that makes so much... Well, it doesn't make any sense, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that was made clear. That's yeah. interesting little fact. I feel like the Sopranos come up a lot on this podcast, and you wouldn't think for a high mm. school podcast, but whatever. By the way, it seems like everyone likes this movie, and I'm the only idiot who hasn't seen it, I guess, because 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And I do this I do this every week, and I don't want to forget about it because I really want to dive in and read the back of the VHS cover. <laughs> so here goes, guys. Now, this wasn't released on VHS till much, much later. I think, like, the late 80s or early 90s. So, yeah, there wasn't VHS yeah. when this movie came out in so, 1971. I didn't yeah. know I didn't know what else to read. I haven't done too many very old high school films, so <laughs> the gimmick doesn't work as well for the old ones. Anyway, released in 1971 to critical acclaim and public controversy, The Last Picture Show garnered eight Academy Award nominations and was hailed as the most important work by a young director since Citizen Kane. A surprisingly frank, bittersweet drama of social and sexual mores in a small town, Texas, this film features a talented cast led by Jeff Bridges, Sybil Shepard, Timothy Bottoms, uh, Cloris Leachman, and Ben Johnson, and in parentheses, who won Academy Awards in supporting roles. Mm-hmm. And that's it, so. Yeah, it's accurate. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no, like, controversial or cute line in there, but pretty much sums it up. By the way, that this cast is so amazing. Like just to see these people so young, mm-hmm. like Jeff Bridges, obviously Civil Shepherd, but the the one who I really was like, oh my god, was Randy Quaid. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that yes. guy Lester, that was mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Um, so I wasn't too too familiar with Ben Johnson, but uh, you know, apparently, you know, he's famous for like cowboy films or something. Yeah, for westerns. In fact, he didn't want to do this movie because um, it was worried there were too many words in it. <laughs> That's crazy. And so, and so Bogdanovich, who before making movies was a critic and spent a lot of time hanging out with Orson Welles and um, John Wayne and John Ford, he got John Ford to call Ben Johnson and tell him he needed to be in this movie. Wow. 
wasn't he like wasn't he 31 when he directed this he was like friends with john ford at 30 31 wow yeah, he was super precocious, like talked his way into inner circles. And he, he's a kind of a fascinating guy. He's a little bit kind of, oh, I don't know. There's a little bit of a conceitedness to the sound of his voice sometimes. <laughs> like, you know, it's like all, all sort of inside baseball stuff. But yeah, he had access to these people in kind of an amazing way. Wow, that's really cool. When I was looking through the IMDb trivia, there was another thing where he like referenced or like asked Orson Welles about like how he should make this movie. He's like, of course you should do it in black and white. I was like, who has access to Orson Welles? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, I, I have a question about my movie. Who should I ask? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. How about Orson Welles? <laughs> yeah. yeah, makes me feel really un- unaccomplished for someone the same age as him when he yeah, did this no. film. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Ben Johnson is like awesome in this. He, he ends up, as I said, winning the Academy Award, and I think he's in it for like nine minutes or something I, I read, which is crazy. But I have to talk about Cloris Leachman. Because mm-hmm. I am a huge Mary Tyler Moore fan. I'm a fan of like the old sitcoms. That's like my thing, and I, I just I can't believe this version of Cloris Leachman, mm-hmm. this like mm-hmm. Academy Award awesome version of Cloris Leachman that I'm just like mind blown. This is like a very mind blowing film to me. Yeah, it feels out of place from the sort of uh, a lot of the because she has all various personas in her career. You know, the, de- depending on sort of big blocks, what you know her from. I th- feel like everybody knows Cloris Leachman, but they sort of know a different version of her. And this is my favorite. I mean, I, I've always I've always enjoyed her, but she does more. She goes through more emotions in a close-up than almost anybody else I know. It's re- remarkable to watch in this movie. Yeah, I mean, ugh, she, just, she just brought it. Like, I, I'm, I'm just gushing over this film, so I apologize. But just want to get my facts out of the way, though. This, of course, is based on a novel by Larry McMurdy, if I got that right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so first, you mentioned the black and white thing. What do you guys just think of the overall feel of this film? Just from the sound and the look and that sort of thing? Because it's definitely distinct in that respect. I mean, I feel like, sort of as background for uh, our relationship, I guess, Tobin was on the run of Cinemakers that Mike and I did of Steven Soderbergh. And one of the things that we kept running into on trivia early on in Soderbergh's career was that he's like, he wanted to make every movie in black and white. And the studios were like, no, you got to stop that. you got to do color <laughs> movies. And I feel like this is the kind of movie that, you know, set in 51, but filmed in 70 or 71, that... Soderbergh could look at it and be like, why can't I just make this movie? And because there is like something like just beautiful and like retro and nostalgic and just a real throwback to just the way that it's shot and the way that it looks and being in that little dead end nothing town where there's like nothing around, but it just seems, you know, at, I don't know. I just, I just love the way it looks. One of the reasons they were able to to shoot this movie in black and white is that first of all, it's, it was basically independently financed. Second of all, it was cheaper they thought or they could make an argument that it would be more expensive to repaint the town because this is this is the actual town even though they they didn't have to do much to it in term, to make it look run down because it was as run down <laughs> in 1970 as it was in 1951 but it needed it, the, the colors would have needed to change like there was these green walls it, it looked more modern in its color scheme so part of it was just a sort of, oh, this would be easier if we just shoot it in black and white. But I think it adds to the desolation of this movie. This movie is is remarkable to me in the way that it balances humor and 
tragedy, often very, simultaneously, not even like one after another, and and setting it in this in this you know desolate place. Credit to Bogdanovich's wife, at least her, his wife at the start of the movie, for, <laughs> for the, the production design of this movie, because it just the, not a frame of this movie does not feel to me sort of kind of desolate and in some kind of pain. Oh yeah, oh my god, and it's. It... Just the thing, the words that kept coming to my mind when I was watching this film were just, just like realness, you know. I'm sure that wasn't a word mm. at the time, or it just there was such a. It felt like a film from the '50s, but with a realness, a modern realness that you would never see in a film from that era. Mm. Which I, I don't know. It was like so freaking chilling, and just oh, the setting. Like I feel like I was in this town essentially. What I like about this movie, in terms of that Brian is like when you are at least I don't know maybe just the movies that I'm watching or whatever like when you watch like these old-timey movies that like especially the big ones it feels like everyone was so like refined and so well to do back then and like there were no societal problems and like seeing a movie like this where people are sleeping around and you know cheating on their husbands who might be also cheating on them with their quarterback or like you know having abortions and, like, this, like, really gritty, raw realness, it feels like this is the movie that, like, people in the 50s maybe wanted to make but were afraid or unable to make due to whatever reason. And I like seeing this, like, sort of seedy underbelly that shows, like, oh, we've always been kind of messed up as a people Mm. in society. (laughs) Yeah, no, like, it's true. As, like, screwed up as that is, that's exactly what I thought. It's, like, surprisingly a little comforting, that like people <laughs> in the fifties, and I, again, I know it was shot in the seventies and stuff, but had the same like screwed up problems as we have today. Because Joe, you hit the nail on the head. Everything I've seen from like that era is very and great films, but very sterilized when it comes to like moral stuff. And, and this was yep. like it's like a throwback, but like modern and real. Ah, I don't know. Again, I'm in love. <laughs> Brian, I love what you said about the realness of it. The the scene that I remember the first time I saw this movie that made me – I sort of sat up and was like, oh, this is different from what I'm used to. I think it's the scene where Sonny and his girlfriend go parking early on in the movie and she takes off her top and it's this sort of awkward – they've been at the movies, right? And then they, then they go park yeah. and it's this awkward – funny and sad and and really unsexy really unsexy sex that 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 feels that felt very authentic right like it feels like you know this this is how this feels like how high school kids have been fumbling around in in cars as long as there have been cars in high school kids (laughs) including today like it feels uh, and so and so you're seeing a film made with all with a lot of the sort of stylistic impulses of movies from the 50s like you're saying but then the content that you're seeing the 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 especially how graphic the the emotional stuff and the sex stuff is then feels very or at least at least the nudity that then feels very uh, sort of shocking these two things juxtaposed next to one another yeah absolutely and, and another thing that you bring up with just a whole I took this note and it's like the the subtlety of how awkward they are when they take like bras off Mm-hmm. It's just perfect, you know? Like, that's mm-hmm. especially, like you said, for high schoolers, it, it just looks awkward and weird and, like, like unsexy, as you said. It's just, ah, uh, I, I love films like this. <laughs> since you, since you hadn't, hadn't seen it before, Brian, I'm curious what you thought it was going to be like, or, or, or had, did you have any sort of 
did you have any did any cultural osmosis tell you anything about this movie or did you come in re- as a like a blank slate it, this was come a complete blank slate to me huh. the only thing i knew about it is it's on a lot of um, people's lists to see yeah like yeah. the tobin 25 <laughs> yeah 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 like the tobin 25 but i had no idea it was even a high school film till i started putting together a list of and I just looked it up on top high school films. But I had no idea. And it's nice. I'm very, very happy about that because I'll never get to see I'll never get to see uh, Star Wars like for the first time. I'll never mm-hmm. get to see mm-hmm. movies that I wish I could see as an adult for the first time. And it's always fun when you discover a great old film for the first time and you're able to process it and like remember the first time. You saw this film, which is obviously what like two days ago for me. So <laughs> maybe that's why I'm so excited because, I mean, it almost. I'm gonna say the only hype I was getting about this film was from Joey too. So right, right. like true hype so of feel, some somebody I know. So it felt like a discovery a little bit then. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, um, yeah. some of my best friends, some of the guys I talk about film with, most of them have also not seen this film. So I can't wait to be like, mm-hmm. yo, you gotta watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great. Like, that's, you know, it's really, really, really good. And it's such a, such a, I don't want to say breath of fresh air, because that's too mean, because I do like what I do, and I do like these high school films. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> that was your idea. Yeah. Yes, of course. I, I haven't been forced at gunpoint to do this show. <laughs> but it's so nice to see a good, well-made movie that's not just a good high school movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because this movie is, as much as it is a quote-unquote high school movie, and it's very much about the lives of these high schoolers, it's also about the lives of kind of this town and maybe America, both in nineteen the late, early 50s and the early 70s. Like, it, it seems to resonate about a lot of different things, and yet, you know, still be technically a high school movie. Do we ever see them in school? We see them... Yeah, the f- there's a scene with, like, their teacher, and he's trying to get through to them, and they're kind of, like, just don't care. That's right. They're teacher who goes on to be in Magnum P.I. I don't know. That's <laughs> really? TV, TV show from my era. Uh, uh, but yes, yes. Okay, right. That's right. Then there, And there's the funny thing with the comb and the, yeah, okay, right, right. Yeah, So, but there's not a lot of emphasis on it. We don't spend a lot of time in, in the school. With no, what I feel like, what I feel like is relatable to high school is that it's sort of like a series that I've been thinking a lot about lately because we're recording this and it's sort of, you know, college football season and I've been thinking and high school football season and I've been thinking a lot of Friday Night Lights lately and it just seems like this whole town, in a way, I mean, this dying town, revolves sort of around the high school football team or at least, like, that's like a central part Mm -hmm. of the conversation, you know, criticizing or commenting on or whatever the game or the players or, like, you know, girls only hooking up with guys because they were in the backfield or whatever. Like, not a euphemism. Like, it just seems like the... (laughs) the high school experience and who these people are in high school is so fundamental to this town that even if we don't see them in high school for more than a scene, the fact that they are all in high school and who they are is, you know, vital to, uh, this movie. Yeah. It's that, it's that Texas, uh, high school football stereotype, Mm -hmm. but it's also magnified because let's be honest, this is like on the surface might seem to people as a pretty dull town. And it seems like everything revolves around these high school sports and these high school kids. Mm -hmm. And if you play a high school sport, you're pretty much a celebrity in this little town, which I think is true of a lot of little towns in America. So while it's like, it's about the town, you can't tell the story of this town without making the high schoolers and like what they do a huge part of it. Yeah. And so many of the relationships, so many of the, the, 
the movie seems to be telling us that a lot of the adults in this movie who are at various sort of points of being stuck in their own lives, that that being stuck all stems from decisions that they made, actions they took as high schoolers. It was their high school years that sort of set the course for them to end up in, in the various you know, stages of dead-endness that, that we find them in in this movie. And the movie seems to be saying that these, the current high schoolers, um, have the, a chance to change that, right? Like it's their chance now. Yeah. And yet they're making a lot of the same mistakes that the, you know, that the, that the adults made. Oh, so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, it, it's, oh, it, it's like awesome. And I'm just, s- certain movies that I'll probably do some people will argue are not high school films. I will argue to the death to this film because that this oh, is yeah, a high school yeah. film because it's definitely it, it revolves around that. Yeah, for sure. And even the sort of the structure of the movie is is they sort of structure it in the course of this last year of high school for Sonny. I, I say we're not in school a lot with them, but it's it's kind of pegged to that to them growing up, graduating and heading off to the sort of various sobering things that that they end up heading off to in real life, and that that feels very. Um, you know, tethered to people. Since so many of these people aren't going, aren't going to college. This is the end of their schooling, and so they're like, this is the end of them of of May meaning anything. You know, of like graduation. <laughs> like then they're going to be in a, in the quote unquote real world where there is no summer vacation anymore. You know, like that all kind of kind of changes as, as at the end of this movie. Yeah. No. Once again, depressing. But. <laughs> But it's funny too. It's a very funny. I think it's a very funny movie too. Oh yeah, I mean, but most the most realistic things. I mean, at least my opinion, the most realistic things are like jarring and funny. Right. You have to have those two elements to make it real. Bogdanovich has talked about the. If you watch this movie with less than twenty five people, nobody laughs. If you watch <laughs> this movie with more than twenty five people, they laugh at almost every moment in the movie. Both sort of sat you know, like hard. Hard moments and truly slapsticky moments, or or you know verbal jokes or whatever. Like there's there's uh, he talks about the you talk about Randy Quaid. There's a he is basically his introduction in this movie. He just walks on screen and he says if you watch this movie in a in a big crowd, people laugh just at how gangly and goofy he looks when he walks <laughs> when he walks on screen. And I I had the opportunity uh, to after Joey had uh, graduated from the college that I uh, that where we met, um, I taught a class in seventies America. American films, and this was, I think, maybe the fourth or fifth movie that I showed to that class. And we watched it in a big auditorium, and there were there were there were more than twenty five people in the room, and uh, and I was I was a little nervous going into it because I had not tried to show it to you know to young people, and I was just a little unsure. And and by the you know third scene, they're laughing at, laughing with it, and um, you know that it's it's one of the ones that everybody came away from that class really really loving. Awesome. Oh. See, I I missed out on my, whether it be high school or college education, but luckily (laughs) through this podcast and through the help of you guys, I'm getting to right a wrong from my past. Well, there you go. So I thank you for that. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned the graduation earlier. One of my favorite little, I don't know, it's not really a scene, but like when when they have their graduation and they're singing that that, uh, Texas, I guess Mm. it's like a Texas state anthem. Mm -hmm. It just reminds me of like... it feels like in this movie, and correct me if I'm wrong, most of the music is like internal, like whether they play it on the jukebox 
or it's just mm-hmm. playing on the radio, right. yep. or they're singing it. Mm-hmm. There's like no score, right? There's no score in the movie. Yep. Yeah, yep. That, that's right. I thought that was interesting and, and also pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, he, the, the music too changes depending on the – whenever Sybil Shepherd is in the scene, the music is no longer country. Like there's country music and honky tonk music, uh, there's Hank Williams music, and 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 there there'll be there's one song I can't remember the name of it, but it plays in an early scene, and I think it's a Hank Williams version of it, and then a Tony Bennett version plays when we're with when we're in JC's room and she's listening to the radio uh, to like separate her from the sort of like, you know, set from this town, just in this kind of very subtle way. It's he there, there's nothing in this movie that isn't thought through, and that's one of the things I think I, I appreciate it as a filmmaker as well as just someone who likes movies and likes high school movies is that th- that there's not an inch of this movie that wasn't that wasn't deliberate on on the parts parts of the people who are making it. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's super cool. And kind of equal to that is like the just the Texasness of this film, and just ha- mm. how accurate it is to like. I know it's not a real town, but in terms of just like the geography of the area, you feel like you know it. Even down to the fact that they drink Dr Pepper, you know, it's just very, mm-hmm. very like Texan, and it just keeps you there, and you feel again, you feel like you're in this town, and. Like you said, every inch of this movie is like well thought out and awesome. And hey, if that has to do with with, with his wife as much as it has to do with him, then <laughs> power to everyone. Power to his wife, power to his girlfriend, because they really, really made something special. So I kind of just want to touch on a little bit of these plot points. So the first one really is the whole... Well, I, I guess this kind of revolves around a bunch of love triangles, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, the coach's wife, Ruth and Sonny. Well, first Sonny has that girlfriend. Then he gets in with, uh, Ruth. What do you guys think of that relationship? Like the younger guy with the, with the somewhat older woman and, and that whole thing. I mean, I'm sure it happened all the time in towns like this. And even like we were saying earlier, it just isn't usually depicted in movies like this. I also, you know, again, thinking about Friday Night Lights, just thinking about, if a player ever, you know, like Mrs. Coach was like the epitome of like the perfect wife and mother and woman and role model. And, but like, you can also see like in a, in a dark version of Friday Night Lights, like this movie essentially where she could fall prey to just these young people all around. But, you know, I'm sure it happened all the time when there's just infidelity on the other half and, you know, boredom and opportunity and whatever. Well, and also we can't forget she's facing some kind of rather dire medical diagnosis. Like the reason Sunny is is in her life is to drive her to a doctor, and it's we we're never told. I'm as I remember it, uh, we're never told what it is or what's going on, but it doesn't seem good. And her and the coach is never there with her. Like it's it's you know he's pawned this job off on on Sunny. And what what's remarkable to me about their relationship is that it does not feel to me predatory in the way I can't imagine writing this <laughs> this movie because I I don't know how and maybe today you couldn't do it maybe it would have to be set in the past or but I'm, uh, or maybe it's the performances I don't know maybe you guys can tell me but to me it doesn't feel predatory on her part and it doesn't feel on his part like he's taking advantage of her it really does feel to me as though these two people have found each other in this moment and maybe they they're not into it for the same things but who is in any relationship right I mean that's that's especially in high school that's part of what you're figuring out and so I I've always really I've always been fascinated by this relationship. What I like about it is how much is unsaid. Like the 
fact that the her husband might be having an affair with the quarterback is never said in the movie. I think that's a, that's just something that she said after they made the movie. So like you don't really know why their marriage is falling apart or why he's not around. You don't know what's wrong with her. It's just like you said, you know, two people found each other through whatever circumstances, whatever's going on that we don't know about, and it just it, it works for them, you know, at least in the moment if not you know, the last scene between them, like, it's a tender moment, but, like, you don't know if that's, like, the last time that they're going to see each other mm-hmm, or if they're mm-hmm. going to go on further than that. Like, whether they go right. on forever and maybe get married, who knows? But, like, in this moment, in these, like, 10 or 12 or 14 months or whatever this movie spans, like, it, they're, they're there for each other and it works then. Yeah, that's 100% true. And, to Tobin, to hit on your point, my note was, like, why don't I feel more weird about this? Mm-hmm. Like why? Why isn't every time I have seen this in films and or heard about it in real life, it's like, all right, someone's the victim here. Someone's creepy, and nobody felt like the victim. And I just thought that was like such interesting filmmaking. I mean, mm-hmm. I suppose it's the actors because they do do an awesome job. Um, specifically, again, I think Cloris Leachman is amazing <laughs> in this, mm-hmm. and perhaps it's her but yeah that's the most fascinating aspect to me about this and then i think it was joey yeah joey you had a good point too about like the boredom of this town i yeah. feel like that's like an understated thing uh, in a lot of uh i guess film a lot of like motivation is boredom sometimes you know and i, I don't know if that's why th- this couple's motivated but it's certainly certainly doesn't hurt things you know there's not much to do here well, I mean, it's also depressing to think about that, you know, after Sam the Lion dies and he leaves that movie theater to that woman, like, she shuts it down because she has no idea what she's doing. And, like, it seems like, aside from the pool hall, it was the only place in town for people to, like, escape themselves maybe for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. that to close in this dire time of need is not good. But, you know, we have not mentioned yet that there is a sequel to this movie that I have not seen called Texasville, which is a book that I own and have not read either. But it's set, I think, like 30-something years later, and the town still exists. So it's not like it became a ghost town. Like, it still lives. It just, it's got to be even more depressing to live there after, you know, the picture show closes. Yeah, I I was going to mention that sequel at the end. Um, I was like, oh, there's a sequel to this, and I watched the trailer, and it looks like not, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not this. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Say, I mean, same stars, same writers, same director, same novelist, but no. Nope, time. <laughs> Polly Platt wasn't there for that one, and I, I really do think that has something to do with it. She, yeah, Bogdanovich's wife was, was, or now then ex-wife was no longer in the picture. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm choosing to think that that one does not exist. Yep, that's how I live. <laughs> I mean, between between you and me and everybody listening to this podcast, there's a reason that I haven't watched or haven't heard Mike's podcast episode from this month yet because I don't know that I want to watch The Godfather 3. I'm sure it's not as bad as I'm making it out to be, but like when you have something as perfect as the first two or this movie, it's like, why do another? You know what I mean? I've... I've never seen Godfather Three either. I'm I'm avoiding that podcast for the same reason. <laughs> no, sorry, Mike. Sorry, Mike. No, I'm the guest on that podcast. Sorry, oh, Brian. No. And oh, I defend no. the Godfather Three. Okay, one. Well, it's on my oh, list wow. to watch this week okay. if I can get to it. But look, look, look. I'm, it's I'm not, nervous. Do not, do not have Godfather expectations for the Godfather <laughs> Three. It will not meet those expectations. But it's one of the better films he's done on that podcast. I can guarantee. Well, you I'm sure. Oh. I'm sure that's true because what he's done on that podcast, aside from <laughs> Superman three, has been bad. But Superman three, as we all know, Chef's kiss of the finger is just a. 
beautiful work of art. <laughs> but also, just a, just a quick aside to two movies you've talked about. Isn't Sofia Coppola is like a major role in that, right? And she is also in The Outsiders as Domino, uh, you know, another Francis Ford Coppola joint that she popped up in a couple early Cage Club movies, you know, Nicolas Cage's cousin, yeah. as little Domino with the little buck teeth. And I just think she's so adorable in that movie. So there's a Sofia Coppola thread running throughout the Cage Club podcast. Yes. I'm, I'm glad to see that you are maintaining and upholding with your <laughs> Outsiders episode. Yeah, no, it's true, but she is terrible in The Godfather 3. <laughs> and that's not... I tried to watch Godfather 3 with, 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 you know, like, forget everything, let me just see this movie and if I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. And look, there were a lot... Like, Andy Garcia's great. Um, Joe Montana's great. There are a lot of great elements, but she is just... And I know whatever, Winona backed out, so she had to be in the film, but she is just god-awful. One of the worst... <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's true. One of the worst Domino. performances you'll ever see. Not in that... <laughs> <laughs> she's oh, okay in the Outsiders. <laughs> but and Coppola has a last thing we'll talk about is the Godfather Three, I promise. But Coppola has a great, <laughs> has a great line. Spoiler alert for Godfather Three. Um, Michael's daughter in the film. I'm spoiling it because guys, if you haven't seen the Godfather Three now, then you know you're never gonna see yeah. it probably. Well, I'm gonna watch it this week, I think. Okay, so I won't spoiler alert it for you. Nah, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the film. Coppola says Michael has to, Michael's children have to pay for his sins. Okay, I like that idea. Sure. So, so I'll leave it that, that vague. And he said mm. after making it, his children had to pay, like Coppola's children, Sophia, oh, had to no. pay for his oh, no. sins making that film. <laughs> because she was oh, shit no. on after she did that. Oh. And yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's. Don't and it was. It, it was <laughs> and it was very, very rushed. So, end of Godfather 3 discussion. You guys can go listen to Third Time's a Charm um, and hear me talk about that for like an hour and a half. So, back to what film are we doing? Last Action Hero? Last Action Hero. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes. That great that great high school movie, Last Action Hero. Although, I think Last Action Hero, while we're talking about other podcasts, I think, didn't Real Bad cover that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, they did. That's yeah. another, they did. another podcast That's right. in the network here, so go check that out, too. Plugging yeah. away. <laughs> while, while we're detouring through the middle of this podcast, talking about this great movie, like, go check out some other stuff. <laughs> uh, anyway, Last Picture Show. Um who are we talking about? Oh, Ruth and Sonny. We can get into it a little later. Or we get into it now. Just how that relationship ends up when he, you know, when he ends up with JC or whatever, and he kind of blows her off for what seems like months, I guess. Or yeah, yeah. And then you know, comes back to her in that final, final scene, which was never you such mind, a great Brian. Scene. Never you mind. That's I'm talking such to a you. Great scene. You never. You're talking to me personally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not as good as Cloris Leachman. It's a delivery, but still, yeah. No, such a great scene. Such a, oof, oof, oh. What am I doing apologizing to you? Why am I always apologizing to you, you little bastard? Three months I've been apologizing to you without you even being here. I haven't done anything wrong. Why can't I quit apologizing? You're the one who ought to be sorry. I wouldn't still be in my bathroom if it hadn't been for you. I'd had my clothes on hours ago. You're the one who made me quit caring if I got dressed or not. I guess just because your friend got killed, you want me to forget what you did and make it all right? I'm not sorry for you. You'd have left Billy, too, just like you left me. 
I bet you left him plenty of nights. Whenever J.C. whistled, I wouldn't treat a dog that way. I guess you thought I was so old and ugly, you didn't owe me any explanation. You didn't need to be careful of me. There wasn't anything I could do about you and her. Why should you be careful of me? You didn't love me. Look at me. Can't you even look at me? Shouldn't have come here. I'm around that corner now. You've ruined it. It's lost completely. You sure needing me won't make it come back. Never you mind, honey. Never you mind. I love that. Yeah, scene. because so much has been repressed in this movie, especially Ruth, especially the Clores Leachman character, but for a lot of the characters, like they're they're fumbling around, they're not quite saying what they're feeling, they're talking obliquely, and she just rips into him and and sort of shreds herself in front of him to to demonstrate how much he's hurt her, and it's it's so hard to watch, but it's so 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 good and and satisfying in some kind of way, and it's like throwing the dishes against the wall. It sounds very over the top, but but it just uh, and this movie is full of those kind of jagged moments that happen that that you don't quite expect, but then in retrospect you're like, oh yeah, she's been like not saying what's on her mind her whole life until this moment with this kid, and it just ah, oh, I just I love that scene so much. Yeah, and it just she's kind of. She's not, I don't find her as like an odd person in this town. I don't think most people in this mm-hmm. town say what they've wanted to say their entire life. Right, right, exactly. Right, good point, good point. Yeah, it reminded me even of, um, what's his name, Sam, Sam the Lion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How he's, that he gives the whole that whole monologue about a girl he knew and it ends up being J.C.'s mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just come out here to get a little scenery. Pretty a day it's been in town. You wouldn't believe how this country's changed. First time I seen it, there wasn't a mesquite tree on it. Or a prickly pear neither. I used to own this land, you know. First time I watered a horse at this tank was more than 40 years ago. I reckon the reason why I always drag you out here is probably I'm just as sentimental as the next fella when it comes to old times. Old times. I brought a young lady swimming out here once, more than 20 years ago. It was after my wife had lost her mind my boys was dead. Me and this young lady was pretty wild, I guess, and pretty deep. We used to come out here horseback and go swimming without no bathing suits. <laughs> One day she wanted to swim the horses across this tank. Kind of a crazy thing to do, but we'd done it anyway. She bet me a silver dollar she could beat me across. She did. Old horse I was riding didn't want to take the water. But she was always looking for something to do like that. Something wild. I bet she still got that silver dollar. 
Whatever happened to her? Oh, she growed up. She was just a girl then, really. Here, let me help you then. Like, you know, there's stuff he didn't want to, he couldn't say there. There's stuff that her mom couldn't say there. And it's just like, that's kind of just basically how this town lives. They, they feel, I mean, you know, big picture. Yeah, I'm sure all societies like that too. But in terms of, especially in this town and mm-hmm. Cloris Leachman's, what's her, uh, Ruth, Ruth's like characters, aggression there and emotions and even how she essentially, you know, comforts at the end mm-hmm. it's just to me like the whole town taking it out on like everything that's going on and just going back to the way it was and texasville aside it, it's probably going to continue being that way and, and maybe it doesn't fall off the map but it's just i i that's why you know the, in this 20 years later it's probably going to be the same 40 years later that town's probably going to be the same. Obviously, technology and stuff like that changes, but in terms of people, and as long as the town stays small like that and doesn't become a absorbed suburb of something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that's just how it's going to be for these people. It feels like. Yeah, there's a timeless quality to the whole thing. Like it's not this is not going anywhere. The cy- the cycle continues. And all you can hope for is a little bit of comfort, like he gets at the end. Like they both seem to get at the end there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so another, uh, character I wanted to touch on, I guess, uh, the, the Dwayne JC thing, but then more about, uh, JC and obviously the, the touch of classism, the roughnecks versus the rich mm-hmm. kids kind of thing. Ooh, like an outsider's kind of vibe. Yeah, a little bit, you know, I mean, where's the outsider's yeah. Oklahoma, right? So not too far. Nope. Yeah. Panhandle, baby. <laughs> So yeah, so what do you guys think of all all that angle and stuff? I just can't, still can't get over the fact that this is Sybil Shepherd's first movie. Like, it's just, it's incredible, like, what she does in this movie. Like, in terms of, like, what she has to balance on, she has to juggle, and, you know, what she has to convey, and, you know, on-set drama or off-set drama aside, like, her performance is just great, I think. Yeah, and Jeff Bridges is, Peter Bogdanovich has talked about Jeff Bridges being one of, if not the best actor he's ever worked wow. with. And this being one of the his first big roles, he'd been in things before, but not a, a role this substantial. And he's he's. I remember the first time I saw it, I I didn't. I came away thinking, oh wow, he looks so young. But I didn't really think about him much beyond that. And in subsequent viewings, he nails something about um, the the way that some people, for some people, high school is a time where you like some people who are cool in high school. Uh, you realize um, maybe don't think they're cool or maybe they're, they're just trying so hard to be cool. And so they're, you, this is sort of a window into you know, his, his anxieties. Uh, get, he gets to show off those anxieties, but he's always trying to cover them in some way. And I think that that's, it's a, a hard thing to do as an actor. And in retrospect, I think he does it um, really, really well here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's awesome. Just, you know, I, I don't know what else to say, but like, I forgot it was Jeff Bridges 
five minutes into this film, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that yeah. th- didn't become about that anymore. I, it, it kept like maybe coming back to me, but it's, I mean, that that's super high praise by the director there. Yeah. 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 Cause he worked, you know, he's, he went on to other people won Oscars in his movies, not just in this one in other movies that he'd done uh, quite a few of them. So it's not like he's working with slouches, you know? Um, but I, and I, and he, he, I've never heard him be much more specific about it, but Somehow they were able to, in a very unshowy way, kind of anchor that character and and that character's, you know, as I say, anxieties and awkwardness inside trying to act tough and cool and but then being kind of a weasel, but then feeling kind of bad about it. Then eventually and then heading off to Korea at the end, like heading off to war, like to see him grow up and it his last line to to sunny as he gets on the bus right is like uh I'll, you know see you in a year or two unless i get shot <laughs> like with this like grin you know it's like this whole movie is full of things where you're like oh my god this is terrible but also it's very funny and very and in that way it's part of what, what makes it feel so true and he yeah he does there's some magic here in in him in this movie and that's what kind of feels that that also feels sort of depressing there is that like the only way to get out of this town is to like go possibly die in war because yeah, like right if he comes back from war, like, he's not going to leave this town. Like, what is he going to do? I mean, we know that, I mean, he's the star of Texasville, so we know that he comes, he survives the war, this character survives, but I don't know if he leaves the town or stays in the town or comes back to it or what, but, like, you know, he's always part of that town's DNA. It's just, like, how do you, how do you get out? Like, where, like, where do you go? Well, it's, it's fun. And that's why I love the geography of this film. Um, Like, Dallas is like the moon, you know? You go to Dallas, you never come back. Um, Wichita Falls is like their big city, which is probably no more than a town at that point, you know, or, or like a bigger town, I suppose. And, you know, and everyone just basically goes to other parts of Texas to become an oil, you know, uh, roughneck or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. And like, that's your getting out and you eventually just come back when you're done with the project, you know, there's it's just mm-hmm. no escape in this world. And I was just thinking like, what a different world Korea is going to be for him. Yeah, yeah. Like, just, just, I mean, look, that's the story of, of war, right? Just small town, you know, guys going right, and, right. and seeing a different part of the world. But it's just like, I know that's not the on-screen story, but it was just like, you know, this this town and this drama is just, like, compared to what's going to go on there, it's just, like I said, just completely different worlds. It might as like well be him, you know, killing people in space, essentially. Ooh, Texasville two space. <laughs> well, well, if it's a th- <laughs> if it's a third film in the series, then it could be on third times a charm. Ooh, very true. Very. And then very true. then it'd be forced to have an episode on this podcast. Mm. I mean, on this <laughs> network. Yeah. Sure. So, <laughs> so not sure. Um, I'm not sure how that one's gonna go. But <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and well, and for audiences seeing the movie as it comes out, I mean, we're in, right in the middle of of the war in Vietnam, so the idea of a you know small town kid shipping off to you know asia to fight in a war and and the sort of tragedy but also as you say like the, this is his his chance to get out of town and sort of see what's out there and escape who he was and you know be, maybe become something new maybe become something better like that 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 combination of sort of hope and despair is just i think would have also um like that would have resonated with people at the at the time yeah no absolutely that that's a really good point i didn't even think about the whole vietnam con- connection yeah, uh, the other thing about Jeff Bridges too. I mean, I think you mentioned it too. Like his, 
I, I loved his just, like, there was, like, tension in his face sometimes that was so... Hmm. Like, one scene in particular, like, when uh, uh, JC essentially lies to him and then gets in the car with um, mm-hmm. Randy Quaid, and just how he processes that, like, it's... Yes, yes. It's just, uh like, it, it's just great. <laughs> well, and in that moment, she has she has let him put his hand up her skirt like she takes his hand and puts it up. like she says I can't I really wish I could stay with you but my mom says I've got to go to this other party with this kid and then like she she you know puts his hand up her skirt and so he's like dealing with that as well you know like that's part of his like oh my god what's happening here and now she's gone and like what's going on it's it's a great you know it's it's he's that's what i mean about him the sort of subtleness of what he's doing is that it's it's uh, you know it's in it's it's in him processing that and sort of trying to figure it out that you really see like what he's able to do oh yeah yeah for sure so this movie was um apparently banned in some theaters i've read in phoenix i'm not sure mm-hmm. about my, my statistics <laughs> <laughs> and it was mainly because of that um one of the subsequent scenes, that whole skinny dipping scene where there are just a lot of naked people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was um, that was interesting. I, but <laughs> I could I could see why that would be controversial in any time. Also, considering that they're high schoolers. But um, I actually liked again the like back to the class or something. I liked the incredible juxtaposition of just that the room where that pool is in compared to every single room in mm. in that or every single space in uh, like the town they're from there was not it doesn't look like there was a speck of dust in that place you know and it seems like every other shot of the film in other places there's just dust and decay and i mean i i think like that as like kind of interesting as that scene is i think it was a uh, it was cool to show that kind of difference in their little corner of texas that there is like these still social and class differences and they do they do guide things and you know it's also like paired with the scene with her mother telling her to like essentially marry a rich a rich guy and stuff yeah that's you're that's such a good point i hadn't thought about how clean and new it looks compared to everything else in this movie you're you're so right the other thing is that it's it's so wet like this movie is parched. Mm, yeah. The there's always dust. There's always wind. Like you never, see, except for the reservoir that they go to um, with Sam, where is the moment where he does look back at with some sort of you know I don't know. So there's some nostalgia. There's some missed opp- regret. There's there's all this sort of mix for him. There's water there, but they're talking about how there's no fish in it, right? Like they're they're unable to use it, and yet the water in this scene is in abundance and it's clean and it's full of like. The, these, as you say, these like naked high school kids, these rich, rich naked high school kids. Like this is, it is a, it is a, um, you know, both in terms of, of I like what you're saying about how sort of clean and new it is, and also how just how how they're able to have water. Like the rest of the town, this other town can't get water. It feels like you know. And also, yeah. I mean, to put it bluntly, but as opposed to the reservoir, it's like full of life, like literally full of life yeah, and yeah. full of joy right. and hope Vitality, and optimism and whatever. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to just a dead sea of no fish. No, no, it's true. And even like again, not to get weird about it, but like even the these kids like bodies, they're so like perfect. Because when you see like the people in the towns' bodies, usually there's there's a lot of times some kind of deformity or some kind of scar or even just mm-hmm. the dustiness, you know. So it's or just grimy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like the town just wears you down over time. Like these kids just haven't been in the town long enough to become haggard. Like they will be. They just aren't yet. 
Well, maybe. I don't well, know. But these kids are from a different town. The kids, oh. the kids in the pool are at a, are in, they're in Wichita or Wichita Wichita Falls. They're in they're in a different town. Yeah. that feels very um that feels better off. Okay. Yeah. But even still, like I feel like maybe it's just you know even if they're not in town, like just like life hasn't beaten them down. Maybe life won't beat them down. Maybe they'll be able to escape it because of their money or their situation or whatever. But it still feels like there's a dynamic between like even Sybil Shepherd. I mean, isn't beaten down because she's young, but I mean she's not making great decisions in this movie. So. No, no, for sure. But I feel like those kids again, like. They don't have to be. They like they seem so young because they don't have to be adults yet. I'm assuming a lot right. of them are going to college, whereas like Sonny and Dwayne are like forced to be adults very very fast. Right, right. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like that's like the difference between them, and it's yeah. I don't know. Just <laughs> that's to me like a super cool scene. Yeah. Um, you mentioned what's it called? Uh, Dwayne goes away, and then. JC starts dating Sonny. JC has an affair with, not an affair, just like a one night thing. That felt creepy, obviously. Yeah, that was yeah. That was like one of the most jarring moments. Um, I guess it's like a partner of her father's, but also her mother's like lover. Am I am I correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that kind of feels like another thing that sort of might stem out of boredom. You know what I mean? Just like what else is there to do in a way? I yeah. Know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. No. Certainly, there's. <laughs> I mean, from her perspective, perhaps, uh, and that was just, yeah, that was, like, one of the more uncomfortable moments, as opposed yeah. to, like, the the age difference, I suppose, between uh, Ruth and Sunny, like, that age difference one was, like, uh, you know. Yeah, it's definitely cre- played pl- played for creepy, and, and, and there's no humor in that, or very, very, very little. Like, it gets very serious, and it's one of the things that the, um, the tone of this movie you were asking about at the beginning is so kind of slippery in this way. Like, it shifts so mm-hmm. quickly, and this is uh, maybe as dark as it gets until... Um, until there's actual death, yeah. Uh, you know, in the movie, but that's no one is gonna come out well from this experience. Uh, and this one does feel more predatory as it goes. Like that's, um, and, and as I understand it, in the the first release of the movie, which had to be only two hours long, this scene was shorter. Didn't didn't show as much. Mm. There are a few scenes that were um, in the in the '90s. All all versions made since then. Uh, um, sort of expanded a bit. There's some some scenes that were added here and there. Put a few more minutes back in the movie, and this this is more graphic than what I believe this is one of the scenes. It's more graphic than it was when the movie first came out. Gotcha. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. And then uh, I like. I don't want to say I like, but I find it interesting her like mother's reaction when she comes home that she doesn't like even like she cares and she essentially you know tells her. She should date other people, obviously, but she's not, like, freaking out or flipping out or kicking her out somewhere, you know? Well, I kind of got the sense that her mom had been there, right? Like, that she had been JC at one point. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a good point. Um, is it... Who plays the mother? Sorry. Ellen Ellen Burstyn. Oh, Ellen Burstyn, of course. The legendary yeah. Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no... The Exorcist, yeah. Yeah, and she's just, she's just... She's just so... She's so good. She's so good at that character. Like, yeah. where you're just like, oh my god, like, <laughs> you know? And I, th- is it there where she slips in the whole thing with Ruth and Sonny? It might be there, or it might be a different moment. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. And then that's when, um, I don't know, JC's like, oh, well, Sonny's always been into me. And then she kind of flips that around. 
She just has an interesting arc because, you know, eventually they get married. Is it interesting or is it just real sad? Like, it doesn't feel like she's doing anything well, because she wants to. It just feels like she either... It's because she can. I'm interested in it, but I, yeah, no, it is sad. Maybe I'm interested in it because yeah. it's sad. <laughs> no, it is. I think it is. It's, it's kind of fascinating because she she sometimes she zigs when you think she's going to zag and then sometimes she just keeps zagging you know like she she'll make a choice that is either sometimes she'll make a choice that feels opposite to what she'd made before but then other times she'll just keep making kind of the same mistake she strikes me as someone if it's not boredom at least it's it's sort of acting out you know it's pushing against the her limits to to try and push again must come up in other in your, these other high school movies that that you know characters who are trying to sort of test all the boundaries that they have and it for sure you know how much of of her sleeping with this guy is to, you know to get back at her mother how much of it is to have an experience how much of it is to sort of wake up from whatever the sort of issues are in, in you know the, the boredom that, that she's got how much of it is just um, it's the only th- a, a sense of adventure like, I don't know it feels like it's all a lot of those things and, and those things sort of she's self-justifying with those things at different times but that's I think part of what makes it fascinating fascinating to me anyway is that her motivations seem um, b- specific but not all, not like she, she's always even aware of them yeah yeah no and that's what I was gonna say like it reminded me of like her mo- her motivation essentially to get married. You know, it didn't seem like a hundred percent sincere mm-hmm. and it ends up being like, I mean, they might still legally be married. I don't know, but it ends up being like a marriage of a couple hours essentially. Um, and right. you know, I think she like part of her likes that reaction she gets out of, out of uh, oh, her sure. father, you know, like yeah. that thinks, I think she, I think that's what she was looking for because she leaves a note. Right. And she's like, Oh, I didn't want them to worry yeah. about me, but that's totally part of, Whatever, if she knows it's her thinking or not, it's totally part of her plan there, I think. Yeah, by that by that point, you're, you're like she wants attention, if nothing else, at that moment. And and she's and she you know, there's this that great bit where they're they're driving back from the from having gotten married, and they're in the car, and he's he's like, okay, we're married now, and, you know, sort of like has all these ideas, and she sees the police car they pass, and then watches in the rearview mirror as it turns with some with some relish. Yeah, watches it turn turn around and like come ch- hunt them down. And I, I just she she's playing like she is the manipulator there. She's been manipulated in this movie, and now she's learning how to use all of the emotional, sexual, all the tools that she has at her disposal to to sort of you know to manipulate events around her. Sometimes it feels like like a cat playing with a mouse, like just because she can, and other times for sort of more maybe more empathetic reasons. But the movie sort of puts us with her in that moment. Kind of, you sense the thrill of this is not, she's already bored of, of you know, of Sunny. Like, she doesn't want to be married to this yeah. guy. <laughs> now she wants, she wants the next sort of episode to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it also leads to an interesting um, conversation, or I guess car ride home between Sunny and, and her mother there, um, that mm. just... Uh, I don't know, it just adds to the realism of the film because she she's not even that upset, you know. She kind of just like she she knew it was coming and she tells him that like, Oh, oh, you should have just stayed with Ruth, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. She says you're lucky we saved you from my daughter. Yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. And, yeah, yeah. And again, I love her because she's such the mother because she's such a realist, you know. And and she she's like there's no there's no maybe at one time she was like somewhat an idealist, but she just I guess she picked the most real option because she ended up 
well, uh, apparently, you know, her the father wasn't always rich, but like he he's the one who struck oil. But then she says like she's the reason he struck oil. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's oh she scared him into it. That was her line. You know, so uh, it's it's again. I think the mother and the daughter are so similar because at one mm-hmm. point too she. At least it seems like she had the same kind of power as you're saying. Yeah, totally. I hadn't thought about this, it this way, but you, what you're saying is so right. She at that she she's the realist at that moment. She can see everything. Like she understands how this all worked out in her life, how it's working out for Sonny and for JC, and like she's seeing all all of it now, and kind of gives him this gift in this moment to say, "Look, this is what's going on. You need to choose." you know, to, to face up to what things that you've done, make, make, make the best of what you've got and, you know, figure out what is in this world for you and don't do things because other people are sort of like, you know, like moving you around the board, you know? And I think that that's, that's a real, out of her sort of pain and being able to see then her and, and regret and her choices and then being able to see what her daughter is doing sort of snaps her into the the sort of way of thinking, oh, I see this all now, and she and that she gifts that to Sonny is, I think, a sort of real moment of compassion in the movie. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, any other scenes you guys remembered or want to talk about or notes or something? Should we talk about uh, the poor kid dying at the end of the movie? Oh, that poor boy. That was Sam's son, yeah. right? Or what? I don't. I don't think. Or it was a guy his... he took care, of, like a kid. Yeah, he took I, care yeah. Of. I think okay. it was just somebody yeah. he like sort of okay. the the neighborhood. Not like pity case, but you know, obviously something wrong with him, and just the. I think I don't like. I think the kids for the most part liked him. At least you know. They, yeah, they I wasn't sure if he was it. like taken in by Sam or just. I, I think he was looked after by Sam. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's his biological. Oh no no yeah no, I, I figured it was so. like some kind of okay so. Yeah yeah yeah. And what's he's an interesting character because I feel like if you twist the actions of this movie. A little bit, you could say that like he's been taking advantage of this whole time. But it feels like, and maybe it's just naivety, but or naivete, however you pronounce it. But it feels like the kids sort of do want, they do have his best interests at heart, and you can tell that like they actually do care about him, even if they sort of show it in weird ways, mm-hmm. like getting him a hooker. Like it just sort of feels that they they do care. Like, they're not trying to be mean to him. It might come off that way. It's just it's. He he's a he's sort of a lightning rod for trouble in a weird way, just because he's so yeah innocent. yeah I know I mean there's something to be said about that because they did like like the prostitute for example they did say like it wasn't like oh wouldn't it be hilarious it was more like oh he's never gonna get a girl unless we do this mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and still like in you know hindsight that's probably not a nice thing to do but I mean they're also like it's a dumb teenage decision essentially and then it just builds when after sam dies you see like sunny really kind of take care of him and the and then he dies like that as you said oh heartbreaking mm-hmm. especially the fact that like no one seems to care that he was run over except sunny yeah they're not caring about him as a person the what the crowd that gathers around him is he's still being viewed as a little bit of an oddity or or the event is is sort of being made clinical in some way by some of these people like it doesn't land for them the way it does does for him no no and then i think sunny has that line like he's sweeping you son of a bitches or something like that yeah. he, or he was sweeping right because he was in, in the street sweeping no and they're, yeah. they're just all like oh yeah you know he probably just wandered on the street you know how he is wandered in the street 
That was a little heartbreaking saga there. But, you know, another dose of reality in this town that just... It seems like every single vice or crime... No, maybe not gambling. Well, maybe there's gambling in the pool <laughs> no, thing. Oh, maybe, there's gambling. Yeah, yeah of course, because yeah. they gamble on, yeah. on the game. Yeah, right. so... <laughs> right, right. So every single vice <laughs> happens in this town because there's that weird little vignette, I guess, where uh, that older kid steals that little girl. Yeah, the preacher's kid. It's the preacher's kid. Yeah. yeah. I didn't expect that in the film. I'm glad he didn't go any further, but that's like something, too. You're like, oh my God, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Look, there's a real villain in this movie. It's repression. So many of the things that go. uh, The movie seems to be saying that so much of the pain and heartache in this thing have to do with, especially sexual repression, but repression of all all kinds, self repression, and that, and that it's, it's sort of our, you know, the only people who have any hope are ones who are able to sort of you know, break out of that in some way. Um, we should note too, that the, the actor who's playing the, the boy who gets killed is Sam bottoms is, is Timothy is Sonny's brother in real life. Oh, his younger brother in real life. That's interesting. So yeah. And that scene, this, I don't know for me, you know, be, being as close as I am with my siblings, seeing, uh, I see, I see some, a lot of realism in that scene as he's, you know, kneeling over his in real life brother's, body and oh yeah sort of mourning him like it's yeah yeah oh that makes sense i didn't know that was his brother huh that's cool and that kid doesn't say a single word the entire movie Uh uh-uh wow Uh -uh. (laughs) that's powerful we talked about the ending um the cloris leachman ending yeah um i mean i i guess we talked about it a little but it is so we didn't mention that um sunny and sunny and Dwayne get into that scuffle because obviously you know jc's with sunny now and Dwayne's pissed off and then he essentially like blinds him for part of part of the movie right because he's got that eye patch Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but then they kind of come to terms with it later in the film and you know you mentioned he walks him off to um his bus to korea and they enjoy the the actual last picture show of yeah the town does anyone know or can we guess what? why? Oh, sorry, we're gonna. Oh no, go ahead. No, go. Ahead. I was just gonna say like why it was called the Last Picture Show, just because of cool line in the film, or it's from the book, obviously. Yeah, well, it's the last. the 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 book hinges on the last movie in the play in this town, and the idea of that the 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 various metaphors for this town dying, for this community's sort of, you know. F- not not really rotting away, but sort of like the buildings kind of abandoned and falling in on themselves. Like it's, I think it's, it's a, it's sort of a, like a decay. It's, de- it's an old decaying, dying, dusting town that feels like it's going to blow away, you know? And I, I think that that's, it's sort of emblematic of that. Also both, well, yeah. I and mean, yeah, there was nothing to do in this town before. There's really not going to be anything to do in this town once the movie theater is gone. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so depressing. Anyway, if there's nothing else uh, to mention, why don't we rate this film? So on High School Slumber Party, we rate things from one through five, but we have to come to a consensus on what we want our scale to be, five being the best, one being the worst. But what do we want to rate this on? Oh, boy. Um, I even thought about this while we were watching the movie, and I, I don't have anything. This has been the hardest thing to figure out on this show. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about picking an, an element of the movie? Yeah, like, you know. Yeah, so, I don't know. I, I like, you started this discussion on tone, which seems to cover everything from 
the script, the story underneath the script, the way it's shot, the way it sounds. I mean, there's something very specific about the tone it's it's getting at. I don't know if that's if that's specific enough for you. Or, no, uh, sorry, I, I, much dumber. My question, okay. <laughs> trust me, I wish I was that, that smart, but no, we, we just want to pick an object to rate it on, like literally like the scale of, you know, like American pie was mutilated pies. Oh, I see. Yes. Much sillier yes. than that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this, this is the moment then when I should tell my American pie story. Yes. Go ahead. When I was in film school, we had to take scenes from movies and uh, or take the script and take a scene and reshoot it. And we had to act in each other's movies. And one day my friend Rachel said to me, hey, would you be in my scene? And I said, sure. And she said, okay, we're going to – this was in, in Manhattan. She said, okay, we're going to go up to Larchmont, up New, upstate New York a little bit and, um, and in the suburbs and, do a, and do, a, do a scene. I said, okay, great. And then my memory is it was on the train on the way up that she handed me the scene, and I was to play the Jason Biggs character in the pie fucking scene. Oh, my God. American Pie. <laughs> and so somewhere in the world there is VHS tape no. of 23-year-old me <laughs> – Fucking a pie in my friend Rachel's uh, exercise. Oh my goodness! So, I mean, well, I have some questions because we did have some questions <laughs> on American Pie about the physics of it. Well, what kind of pie was it? Was it was it like a, a pie, like an apple pie, like the film? Or no, I th- my memory is that she wanted something that would resonate on more color wise. So I think it was cherry. I think it was mm, red. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and of course she had to have a few because there had to be a pie. You know, we had to do it more than once. So, you know. <laughs> My God. That's great to know. I'm glad we were able to. <laughs> that doesn't get us any closer to uh, no. to this. Uh, to this. Um, you could do brooms for sweeping. You could do um, mo- movie theaters. Uh, you could do um, mile markers, old highways, mm. uh, broken down cars. How about how, <laughs> how many awkward or how many how many pieces of clothing would you awkwardly take off this movie (laughs) five being five being the best then right i guess it doesn't really work as a rating scale i think it does okay (laughs) okay so uh who joey you can go first uh five awkward bras taken off i mean this is i mean i I, i'd say you know we rated (laughs) the edge of 17 i feel like the edge of 17 is a movie that i'll watch more Ultimately, just because it's, you know, modern and not just more my aesthetic, but, like, this is just the best movie that I think you might... Like, we talked about on that episode, like, that might be the best movie you ever cover. Like, this might not be the the best movie you ever cover. Like, this is just... It's so good and so raw and so real and so gritty and just... I'm just glad that, you know, we both, we all got to talk about it tonight. Yeah, Edge of Seventeen is a great... And I gave it a five. Great high school film. But this is a great film. So, uh, Tobin, how about you? Yeah, I love The Edge of Seventeen. Yeah, but I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, so I'm going to say this is also worth uh, five awkwardly removed items of clothing uh, because you you want, you need to possess this movie. Like, you need to really own – like, this, this needs to be yours. You know, you need to see this movie and you need to absorb this movie. This is not a movie uh, – as high school movies go, this is not one that you probably would put on at a real slumber party. <laughs> uh, 
you know, it's not one you're going to put on like as comfort viewing, but when you're ready to sit down and see a, like a real movie that is that is truly entertaining and masterfully crafted that happens to be about high school students uh, and, and ends up being about so much more, this is the movie you go to. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And it's certainly it's certainly not the film where you're taking the Ben and Jerry's and you're watching it with your uh, with your friends. Yeah. Um, but it, it's great, and I'm also going to give it a five awkward removal clothing apparatus things because it, it's <laughs> another one that reaches my five scale. But I mean, I can't knock this film. It's it's one of the best films I've ever seen. So, and it's a high school film. So, like that's awesome. Again, for all the reasons. We stated here, if you guys haven't seen Edge of 17, listener, Edge of 17, well. <laughs> well, that too, though. You really should see Edge of 17 if you haven't, yeah. If you guys haven't seen The Last Picture Show, I really suggest you see it. It's awesome. And if your friends haven't seen it, you'll look smart to your friends by recommending it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> This is like yeah. this is my, like a filmmaker's film, you know. My roommate in college, we we both got into like we moved into the dorm. We didn't know each other yet. We both started putting up VHS movies across, and both had these big collections for 1997 uh, VHS collections. And he one of the movies he had, and a poster he had on his wall was Last Picture Show, and I had never seen it. It was one of his favorite movies, and so I have to credit Joe Bolenbaugh for introducing me to this nice. movie. And we bonded over this. He loves it to this day, and so do I. That's a cool like. That's a baller college move to have that poster yeah totally totally. you know everyone yeah, brings their yeah. posters like this is the movie i like and i'm smart for it yeah. you know and it's like oh <laughs> you like big lebowski cool like you know uh i like a different jeff bridges film oh man that that's really cool um you remind me of something that i forgot to ask what sleeping bag are you guys bringing to the slumber party joey you've brought one before but now you can imagine any sleeping bag you want to bring to the slumber party. I'll let Tobin go first because I'm drawing a blank right now. Let me figure it out. <laughs> okay, Tobin. Oh, this is easy. This is easy. This is for this movie. Uh, you you go to the naked pool scene. And you don't take any any sleeping Ooh, bag at all. Wow, how edgy! That is an edgy pick for an edgy film. Nice. I did fuck a pie. Or <laughs> <laughs> multiple times. You're multiple times, yes, yes. The back of that DVD cover or VHS cover <laughs> says, like, you'll never look at pie the same way again. Did I haven't. I was going to ask, <laughs> did, the, did the pie change you? <laughs> <laughs> yes yes oh some people some people ate some not the pies i actually oh, i was gonna say whoa with. but but some of the some of the pies that we didn't i could not eat any pie that day i was i'd had my fill <laughs> very fair or i or i'd filled the pie yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> one way or the Ooh. other <laughs> joey joey have you come up with one well i'm definitely gonna bring a sleeping bag and i'm gonna hide in shame after that story was rehashed <laughs> again <laughs> I'm gonna bring a uh, Red River inspired, maybe like a old time like cowboys and Indians, maybe like a Lone Ranger oh, sleeping bag. I think and it's yeah. not he's not exactly the aesthetic of this town, but I think it's close enough to make sense for this kind of movie. No, for sure, that's a good one. That's good. Good sleeping yeah. bags, guys. Well, I thanks. really like that. So now's the, the fun time, Joey. Your favorite time where people get to plug what podcasts they're on and where to find them. Oh, boy. Okay, so I'm on, I don't know how many, a bunch of shows. Just go to cageclub.me slash Joey, see all the shows. The important thing of note, really, because I'm not doing enough already, is that Mike and I are going to announce shortly 
two new shows that we're doing that Tobin knows about. I think you know about too, Brian. Yeah. And that, if if we're thinking the same thing. And also look for uh, Tobin's twenty five coming soon to the Cage Club yes, Podcast yes. Network. I can't wait for that. Again, that's the film education that I missed that I'm gonna get via the Cage Club Podcast Network. I'm excited. So Tobin, contenders, what's your stuff? What are you up to? Yes, as you're waiting for Tobin's 25, which will be interesting because we'll see how many of those I stand by. I, I heard a few that I would not put on that list today. But um, uh, and t- while you're waiting for that, you can you can uh, check my out my podcast, The Contenders, I do with my sister, about movies directed by and starring fearless women. Yeah, that, I do do enjoy The Contenders. It's one of the, my favorite shows on this network. Oh, thanks. And can people follow you anywhere or... Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Tobin Addington, and you can follow the contenders at contenders underscore pod. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, so much for coming Oh, wait, on. hold on. Oh, One other well. thing. Unrelated to this. Sorry to cut. I mean, I know I know how, like, <laughs> rude it is when people cut off, like, you know, your outro, whatever. But no, I no, just no, realized, no, because it's like but, a slumber party. You know, we were about to go to bed yawning. Yes. And the one, one more, kid, one the more, one yeah. kid kept us up with one more thing. <laughs> so the most important thing, I don't know how I forgot this, but when I was talking about my high school film class before, the movie that I saw in that class that I – like that I remember liking more than any other that has particular importance to this network was Raising Arizona. Mm. And ah. I was like, oh. And I was like, I don't understand what this... Because I had never seen anything like that. And the guy's like... The teacher was like, this is what we call a black comedy. And I was like, oh, well, then this is exactly what I want to see because this <laughs> is wonderful. So, of course, go check out Cage Club. I, we have not done that for Revisited yet. We've been saving that for sort of down the road. But, you know, that's one of... Actually, don't listen to that episode of Cage Club because that was a movie that, like, we didn't take notes on, really, because Mike and I were both like, oh, we love this movie we're going to talk about. We know exactly what to talk about. And it wound up being, like, half an hour. So don't listen to that. Just go watch Raising Arizona because it is wonderful. Oh, yeah. no, And that was something that surprised me when I first started listening to you guys. I'm like, oh, I expected... Longer episode. Oh, you know, that's like that's that's like my most <laughs> yeah. embarrassing, uh, or not embarrassing. I'm I'm disappointed in our uh, showing on that episode. That's why you do the rewatch, though. There well, we not, go. Maybe yeah, that's not why. That's gonna be a good one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for educating me on the, this wonderful, wonderful film, Last Picture Show. Time to go to bed, right? <sighs> <laughs> I don't know if that was if that, if that was more American Pie acting or what, but that was perfectly timed. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Brian. Big Texas. Thank you to Tobin and Joey. That was awesome. What a great, great movie. I feel like educated now. I feel like we've raised the bar here on High School Slumber Party. Unfortunately, next week. While a lot of people enjoy this movie, and it is a fun movie, I don't know if the Oscar bar will be able to be kept at that level, because next week's film is Encino Man. Recently, two high school students unearthed a prehistoric man in their own backyard. Ah! Their story is completely true. Man. 
image. Oh, he is so greasy. Is he fine or what? This guy is our ticket to fame and popularity. All we gotta do is get him enrolled in school and he'll help us become popular. He's a looker. Link, be careful! He's dope. I'd go out with him. Go Zongas. I am too sexy for Milan. Too sexy for Milan. New York and Japan. <laughs> Today, buddy, we're gonna discuss the beverage. What are you doing, Mrs. Tony? We figure with a little juice. No, we think that you're No, we think that you're Hollywood Pictures presents Encino Man. He's a million years old. Milk does the body good, huh? Uh. Great hair. And living proof that evolution is not an exact science. Get down the fresh nugs. Weeze in the juice. Ow! Buddy. You got him talking like you now. <laughs> Hope you guys like Pauly Shore. That's all I'm going to say. No, 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 but it's a fun movie, and can't wait to chat about it and for you guys to listen next Friday. So as you know, Joey, Tobin, and a lot of the guests that I bring on are proud members of the cage club podcast network we got so many great shows on there so many to name uh you know we named a couple during this episode we're always plugging away definitely just log on to cageclub.me that's cageclub.me to check out all the shows you can ever imagine on films comic books even music pop culture we got it you know if you're here and you enjoyed this there's plenty of other shows you're going to enjoy in the cage club podcast network So regarding this show, spread the word. Tell a friend. You can listen to this show anywhere you get your podcasts, essentially. Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or on cageclub.me. Lots of places. So your friend can't be like, oh, I have an iPhone and you have a droid, so we probably can't listen to the same podcast. No, you can listen to this show anywhere and everywhere. I actually was listening to it in the cab in Austin. Yes, I guess I am that arrogant. It was very late night, and I was just happy that the cab driver let us pick whatever we want, and I saw they had iTunes, so I played it. All right, I don't need to justify this. makes me feel like Kanye West, and that's not a good thing. Anyway, remember to like this show on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, chat with me. I love, you know, discussing things on social media. I want to get the dialogue going. Class participation is a big part of your grade, so make sure you participate on social media. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. See you next Friday for Encino Man. Later, dudes. Arena High School, we love you, love you ever so grand. We will always be You're still here?
It's over. Go home. Go.